Welcome back to the Sim Geeks podcast. We are going to jump into a kind of fun topic tonight, something David and I have been fighting back and forth over for at least a year. Uh, and that is whether or not mannequins should die. So before we start getting into whether death and simulation is an acceptable practice, uh, first, I do want to kind of just check in with the two of us and kind of go with what we've been working on, what we've got coming up, but also introduce a guest that we have tonight. Uh, in just a couple of minutes, we'll have Ed Rivera introduce himself and tell you kind of what he's working on. He will basically be our moderator. So he's kind of the middleman between the two of us in this argument, and we'll, we'll let him play that, that referee, if you will. So first off, David, what have you been up to, man? Oh, just uh, trying to get everything together for these two amazing conferences that we, you and I are both involved in. And uh, we're getting things for the Ghost Conference lined up. We're getting things for the SimOps, which is actually sooner. And uh, we've got some good stuff for it. And uh, other than that, just working on all of the uh, getting our students back into the center and seeing what distance-based learning sim can come up with and uh, you know all learning from all of the great presentations we've had over the last many many weeks many great presenters out there um, you know U University of M um, is the one that stands out sale and a few others have had some great stuff through SSH just been trying to rewatch some of those and get some good information and uh, implement it to make some amazing nurses so what have you been up to so I am, you know, I'm always somewhere, right? So right now I'm in Phoenix, which seems to be the hot spot of the COVID world. I think they're at 89% of ICU bed capacity when I landed here yesterday. It was also 111 degrees when I landed yesterday. So it is, actually the breeze picked up as I was leaving the airport and I was like, oh, thank God wind. And the wind was hotter than the actual air that I was standing in. So it was, uh, it, it, it's what it always is. But we are, we're running labs here. Um, we've got four days of running just nonstop simulation from about eight in the morning until five in the afternoon putting a bunch of people through, I think something like 48 students a week. So we're, we're getting through a bunch of them. Uh, you know, I, I just finished the last of my videos for the copy paste yourself workshop that we're going to do for ghosts, nice. uh, which is finally done. Now I just have to put it into something that resembles a presentation, but I spent a lot of time in the garage over the last few weeks, just setting up a little fake studio and running through lectures and, and making videos of how to make body parts. So I'm, I'm hoping that that turns out well and that everybody's pretty excited about it as I am. Um, but like I said earlier, we are joined today by someone else. Uh, Ed is going to be hanging out with us for a few minutes. He's going to run through our, our debate, if you will. Um, but first, Ed, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us where you're from, what you're working on, et cetera. Well, I'm Ed Rovera, and I work at San Francisco State University School of Nursing. Um, I finished my presentation for ghosts. Um, I just want you to know that no matter how many times I redo it, it's always awful, but it's, it is what it is. So we're going to just have to deal with it. Um, the subject, uh, in case people don't know, is we figured out a way to warp time using an academic EHR across Ooh. multiple scenes in a um, multi-activity simulation set. So, yeah, we're presenting on that. It's kind of cool. It's hard to do, but it can be done. And when you get it done, it's fun. It's That's fun to be able to change time from 7 o'clock at night to 7 o'clock the next morning and have the students go, oh, okay, 12 hours have elapsed. Let's see what information has occurred, what, what data has been put into the EHR in the last 12 hours. That's awesome. So, so uh, with what you were saying with uh, your presentation, the more times you watch it, yeah, you, you can't. And this is why I've said many times, this is why I make um, Will edit the podcast because I, I don't want to hear myself talk. God, I don't want to hear myself talk. So, and, you know, neither does my wife. So, um, yeah, we totally can, can uh, we're, we're sitting right next to you on that stuff. But um, how did you get into simulation and, and, and when? Oh, God. Um, 2008, I, um, I have a history. My, my background is in mainframe programming. I did uh, systems programming for the better part of 25 years before I got finally laid off in 2006. But just prior to that, I've completed a master's degree in education 
And that was with a specialty in educational technology. So in 2008, I was able to land a position at San Francisco State as their simulation technologist. And I have been there ever since. Nice. Very, very cool. And uh, you, you have many, many other stories. Most people that know you know of uh, uh, many stories. So it's funny. So when we made the cover art for this, um, we, were, we came up with the whole concept before we even thought about bringing you on. And then in the conversation, it just seemed like you would be the right person to be in the middle of this. And, you know, we got into this idea of a debate. And so I put that referee picture right in the middle of it. And it wasn't until I got it actually done that I said, oh, God he knows way more about this topic than I do. So give the two minute speech on why you know more about that topic than I do. Um, well, I think you're referring to the fact that in 08 and 09, back in the days before we knew what the heck we were doing, <laughs> um, we actually ran mock codes with the death of the patient plan. No, 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 no. I'm talking about the um, reenacting you do. Oh, well, <laughs> why you were able to look at the picture of that and go and, and, and say quite a few lines on how that picture was wrong because you don't wear the, the stripes. And, and <laughs> I was, I was laughing sorry. hysterically. You, you it was great. Yeah. You didn't, you didn't give me a good enough lead in. I'm sorry, sorry about that. No, um, no, no. What where, I where do when I'm stuff? not, when I'm not in the lab running scenarios is I am the, home field umpire for the Oakland Colonels in the San Francisco Bay Area Vintage Baseball League. So eight to 10 Sundays, every spring and summer, I get to run around a baseball diamond in a top hat and tails. And, and looking marvelous. Not in a zebra suit. Yeah, no, Not no. in a zebra suit. That's why like when I showed you the picture, he was like, well, First off, he's giving the wrong hand sign. Then he's in the wrong outfit. Then, and I'm like, Ed, 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 I did that before I even realized you did the reenacting. And then on the side of other thing, you own goats. But we're going to keep that story for another time, too. Yeah, because, that's another story. Yeah, that's another story. But uh, at this point, I think I'm going to toss it back over to Will, and we're going to get into the real meat and potatoes of this. All right, so here's the fun part. So David and I have this <laughs> ongoing debate, if you will, uh, and we, this doesn't happen to us very often. We tend to be very in sync about a lot of things that we talk about. We have very similar philosophies when it comes to simulation. But one thing that we can't seem to agree on is David is a firm believer that mannequins should not die in scenarios. You should not build scenarios. Unless. That, yeah, well, unless it's one of your learning objectives, right? There so you unless go. death or dealing with death is one of your learning objectives. Um, I fall on the opposite end of the spectrum. And there are a few reasons why and we're going to get into those, but I'm on the opposite side. If a decision would lead to the death of an actual patient, then the right thing to do is to kill the simulator because that is what we are here to do. We are here to reenact as much as we can in simulation um, and make it as realistic as we can. So I know already going into this debate, it's one of many that I actually fall on maybe the less popular side of the simulation community. And I'm okay with that because I'm willing to, to kind of defend my side and where we're going with this. Well, um, I think there's more, more on your side than you think. You're not the only one on this island. There will be in the emergency world. So when we talk about EMS yeah. and, e and the emergency rooms, there will absolutely be a lot of people on my side of this one. But See, overall simulation. The only caveat I'm gonna say is depends on the level of learner. Absolutely. And, I, and I'm going to get to that. You're absolutely right. Yep. Um, yes. So, uh, David, I'm going to let you start because you have the, the more popular opinion. Uh, let's okay. get started. And uh, then uh, I will please. interject or jump in with my pieces. And Ed, feel free to throw in the, the flag whenever necessary and speak up yep. or slow us down. Okay. All right. So I will freely admit that um, for the first uh, eight and a half years of my sim career, I worked for uh, before he retired. So it was about the first six years. I worked for somebody that I consider to be the smartest man I've ever met. And I worked with a lot of smart people at Wright State. Uh, I worked for the Department of Emergency Medicine, and that's where I cut my teeth on simulation. And I was taught firmly that if you kill the mannequin, unless it's a learning objective, which should be the first question, we've already dealt with that on other episodes, um, that the students will go in there and go, well, there's nothing I could have done. It's the sim lab, the mannequin always dies. And therefore the learning stops. And 
the most important part of a sim is what? The debrief. And therefore, if the learning is stopped, it's hard to re-engage that learner to the point where they'll, they'll start picking up again because they're already going in as a defeated sort of, you know, there's nothing I could have done. It was a sim lab. It's just what would have happened when in fact, it's like, no, there were events leading up to this that you could have controlled. But um, that's just what I was taught and how I go into it. So there's a lot of things we used techniques to, you know, if somebody went off the rails in a simulation, there are different things you could do to bump them on without breaking character. Cause we're big, big, big on not breaking character, staying in it. Um, you know, short of even the, the learner, you know, looking at the glass and talking to the glass, we wouldn't break character. It'd be like, no, sorry, this is real life. And so, um, yeah, I, I was just came from that world where that was a staunch belief and, and that was the reason why. So why should they die? So, so yeah, so this is one of many, many points we're both gonna have to make. So first things first, I don't disagree with you. The debrief is the point of simulation, right? You learn in the lab, but the lecture, if you will, the portion of, hey, here's what went right, here's what went wrong, here's what the takeaway is in the debrief. Uh, and so in, in my world, I work with high level learners. Every one of my people is the top of their field. I mean, that, that's really what they are. They're very strong clinicians. They're nurses and paramedics that are not new. I mean, you can't even get hired to fly unless you've been in your field for three to five years, right? So, so for anybody new into this or catching up, remind people what you do and what, where, where you play, what world yeah, you play. Yeah, so, so I'm an educator for a very large air medical company in the United States. So we have something like 160 helicopter bases, each with give or take four nurses and four paramedics. And then my job is I travel around the country and I teach them, if you will. So we run, um, we run our actual HPS lab, which is our simulation lab, human patient simulation. Every one of my students has to come through and pass that lab at least once a year. They have to pass it to come off of orientation to be an employee in the first place. And then they have to come back every year for competency validation. So in my world, um, yes, simulation is wonderful for education and, I, and I've used it and that works as well. But for the most part, my labs are competency validation. We are taking somebody who is already a valid clinician. They are an advanced you know, learner, if you will, and they're coming in and just demonstrating. So right now we're already differentiating between summative and formative learning. Um, if, we're, if we're in a formative situation, so let's say I've got first year EMT, nursing, medical students, then yeah, maybe I shouldn't be killing simulators when they make a bad call and we can kind of coach them into it, explain what's happening and, and move through it. Uh, on the flip side of that, uh, when these people are making life and death decisions, then a life and death decision in the lab should have life and death consequences. And so that is where I fall on the other side. Ed, I see you getting ready to say something. Why don't you go ahead and speak up? Um, I'm still kind of waiting to hear for a topic that can be debated okay. because the fact <laughs> of the matter is you're talking about two different things. True. Okay. Um, you know, the research shows that when you deal with trained clinicians, knowing whether or not the mannequin is going to die, if you make a mistake, doesn't adversely affect the person's ability to Move forward. In other words, their their competency and their confidence levels don't change. That's not the way it is with nursing students or PAs or whomever. You know the what I consider to be the non-clinically based individual. They're just you're talking. Up, right? You're talking about people who fly. You know, I'm sorry, but it and I know. Plenty of doctors and nurses who fly. That's part of their job. These are pretty highly trained individuals. Exactly. Okay. You're, you're, I'm sorry. Nursing students, PA students. Uh, no, not the same audience. Mm -hmm. And we shouldn't hold them to the same standard. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm, I'm just waiting for... <laughs> <laughs> something that really is a debatable point. I, you know what's funny is I haven't I think heard we're, one yet. We're going to be closer well, together on this than we realize because I, I agree with you. I think if we're talking first year students that have a no simulation experience and even worse have no real world clinical experience. And, and before anyone gets offended by that, yes, I understand that people do go back from paramedic to nursing school or, or nursing to physician level education. But let's just standard student new content. 
Yeah, exactly. The yeah, that's that's new content. That's still a new student. So that's yep. new content. It, then new it's a different story. Education. Yeah. And so, but, but again, it's that formative versus summative thing. If we're teaching them how to deal with death, then yeah, they die. If we're just teaching them how to, I mean, how to tie their shoes in the morning, of course we don't want the patient to die, right? We're just getting into that. Here's how you do an assessment. Here's how you address it. So I, I will, I will concede that because it's absolutely the truth. I'll give that one up. Okay, I'm going to toss something in here, and Go that is the. This is the first point you've made about debate that I, I can actually debate. You're right. If the death that you're trying to portray is not an expected experience, I'm I'm speaking of palliative care. Correct. I'm speaking of OB situations where. Um, ultrasound, MNEO, all of this stuff is indicated. You have a non-viable fetus. There's a death involved, okay? Correct. But it's a known situation. You're not going to be that's shocked. That's a learning by objective. Yeah. Well, it, but that's it, also a learning objective. So well, I... It's, it's a learning objective if and only if you're trying to teach people how to deal with that experience in conjunction with the mom and the support person and you know the this person's you know wife and child and all of that stuff okay sometimes you can have a situation where you're in the midst of a, a delivery and all of a sudden your fetal monitor goes flatline it's not unexpected. It's not part of what you expect to happen. But all of a sudden, you no longer have a viable fetus. Correct. So in normal circumstances, this is one where you drop the rails and the mom and baby are heading to the OR. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Well, that's, that's what you have to do is you have to learn to look at that and say, wait a minute, we've got a serious issue here. Mm -hmm. Doctor, I'm dropping the rails and rolling this woman. Get me an OR. Correct. So that's something that nursing students or you know, midwives or whomever you're trying to train, they can actually do, provided that they are given sufficient preparatory information to make the, their success possible and the objectives achievable. Correct. If you and don't do that, I consider that abuse. Yeah, yeah, it, it, absolutely. I, if it's one I of those agree. situations where, where I bring you in and I say, hey, we're going to go transport or we're going to go check on this patient and everything's fine. And then you walk in the room. And it's like, oh, yeah, here's the answer to your scenario, dead baby, right? Something that is absolutely unexpected, has nothing to do with the scenario, and the learning objective has nothing to do with the neonatal resuscitation. That is completely different. I mean, we're, yeah, that, exactly. that goes back to, A, the scenarios need to be written to be fair, right? So anytime Correct. we're, we're developing, the, they have to be achievable. We have to have solid objectives. Every objective and every bit of that scenario should be defensible. Uh, if you corner me on something and say, look, why did this happen? If I can't explain where I was coming from and why that fits into the learning objectives, then your educator screwed up. That has nothing to do exactly. with the clinician. Yes. That's a poorly written scenario. And, and this is what I talk about, you know, where when we do simulations, they should, be, again, this comes from the, the world I was in is simulation is to reinforce their education and to um, push them past the envelope of comfort, but not to go into the world of earthquakes, Godzilla and everything else. It's got to be achievable. So like to your point, what I would say is for a nursing student and what I, what we try to focus at, at my job is, you know, first off in their scope of practice and in their level of education, let them use their clinical judgment to notice what what's wrong and then what to do about it and that sort of thing. So, but you know, you talked about practicing um, people should allow the patient to die. And see, I've had that too, where we've had other learners in, these are practicing people and I won't say, you know, the discipline or anything like that, but um, they were used to the patient dying. And so they went in this going, you know, they were, they were unengaged because they were, they were, 
used to simulations where the mannequin always died. And so for us, and so they would even check out after a certain amount of time. They'd be like, well, it's going to die now, so then there's nothing I can do. Or they'd call it early rather than what they would do in real life. And so we would actually push them past that and, and allow that, you know, if they did the right things or if we could, you know, inspire them in, in a proper way without breaking character, um, you know, to get success. And then we would talk about it in the debrief of, of saying that, you know, life may not have been that fair, but, um, you know, this is what we did. This is why in, in the debrief. So again, I'm, I'm still on the side, even for a practicing nurse, doctor, respiratory therapist of having that patient live. It, it, I, I just, again, this is just the world I come from. And I, I still think unless, and this is one thing I was saying with you was, unless it's a test off situation. Now, if this is a, you know, testing situation for competency, well, then it needs to be what it needs to be. So if they do the incorrect thing and that sort of thing. I don't, I don't write scenarios in an in-depth unless it's one of the learning objectives, right? But mm -hmm. on the flip side of that, if I have a patient that is being taken care of by a crew who makes a critical error that would otherwise result in the death of an actual patient, that yeah. is going to cause the death of the scenario. So it's not like we go in there, like you're, in your circumstance, they're coming in thinking, well, they're gonna die anyway. Mm -hmm. um, we are very clear, if somebody dies in the lab today, there's been a mistake made. The scenarios mm -hmm. are not written to just automatically end in death. The scenarios that's are That's a good thing. That's, a, that's a really good point is adding okay. that to the pre-brief too. What, yeah. what I'm gonna add to that though, yeah. Will, is there's a probability of success. Yes. There's also a probability of failure. And one of the things that I feel people don't employ is that issue of probability. Mm -hmm. Because there are circumstances where you can do everything right and your patient's not going to survive. Not because of anything you did, but because that was what was going to happen. Mm -hmm. Now, you can call it predestination, you know, providence, whatever. But, you know, sometimes you can't bring them back. There's, there's a reason why we call it resuscitation. Because you start out with somebody who's not suscitating anymore. Yeah. And that's a good point. So if you think about cardiac arrest survival is, is less than 10%, right? I don't, I'm not going to quote an exact yes. number. I know neurological function somewhere around eight total. And that's, but that's including in hospital and out of hospital, out of hospital. We're talking like 3% if you're lucky. Yeah. Uh, the numbers so, that I've heard is that it's between like 32 and 40% of having 24 hour survival. Yeah. Now that means, yeah, we got a heartbeat back, but within 24 hours, this person is not going to survive. And I think those high numbers, like that 30 to whatever percent, I think that's bystander witness. That's if somebody's right there when you keel over and is on your chest, right? Uh, and no, so, that's in the hospital. Oh, okay, there you go. Yep. So, and even yep. then, in I, I hospital. consider a hospital, if they're on telly, that's pretty much witnessed. Hopefully, it's caught right away. Um, right. Uh, but, I mean, so when we're looking at it that way, and that's, I mean, that's the really hard part with this debate, right, is we have so many different variables that go into it. Um, yeah, if we're running mega code scenarios, the majority of those patients should, should not survive. And, and partially because the reality when, and say, and I'll use EMTs again, EMTs coming in CPR class, maybe they're taking ACLS with a paramedic partner for the first time. These guys are coming in. And if they win every single time they run a code, it is not going to go well for them when they get in the real world and realize that really 90% of those patients are going to die. And so mm -hmm. that needs to be built into the education. They need to know what the odds are going into it. Again, pre-brief, yeah. right? Good point. And I, and I, my personal belief is, and now I'm going to put this in parentheticals, I don't have any experience training EMTs. I mm -hmm. defer to you guys. But from what experience I have, you ask, an, uh, you know, yeah, ask your average nursing faculty. What are the odds of a successful resuscitation, code situation in a hospital? You're going to get a dead fish look. Mm. They don't know because they don't think about that. And I think that it's important if we're going to do simulations that in, involve death, we have to take into consideration those, those probabilities. Mm-hmm. I, and that's and that's exactly where I'm going with this. If 
and I, again, I don't write scenarios that no matter it's, it's to me, it's the Kobayashi Maru, right? The, mm -hmm. the scenario cannot be unwinnable. No matter what mm -hmm. happens, the learning objectives have to be clear and there has to be a winning answer. If you cannot beat the scenario, the scenario is shit and it should have been thrown out. It absolutely mm -hmm. should be written in a way that if they do everything right, with the exception of when you're trying to teach death and dying, which that's its own correct, thing, right? But when, yep. if they do everything correct in a resuscitation when taking care of a critically ill patient, then they should continue to get better. Or at least in my world, it's not uncommon for people just to stay the same. And that's a mm -hmm. win to be able that to get is. them from point yep. A yeah. to point B. Yes. And they're Huge in the win. same condition. Yep. Uh, and so, you know, for me, preventing death is the point of critical care medicine. So preventing yep. death is the point for me of critical care simulation. And if yep. you fail to prevent the death, the simulator is going to die. And that, so I mean, it, yes, in a way it is a learn. It is a learning objective. This is what I expect you to take from this scenario. But ultimately, the biggest objective, the biggest goal is don't kill the patient. Don't let mm -hmm. them die. And when we're talking about severe trauma, severe sepsis, anaphylaxis, we're talking about you know mm -hmm. OB patients that are high risk obstetrics. This is our goal: keep everybody alive. Yep. And if we fail to do that, the scenario, it's, they're going to go south. If they win every time, even though they did up, made a bunch of medication errors or they failed to resuscitate a patient, what is that actually teaching them that they're going to use in the real world? They have to be able to take that away. You know, if I screw this up, people are going to die. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you mentioned the study earlier. Uh, there was an Annals of Intensive Care published, or critical, yeah, Annals of Intensive Care published one a few years ago, and I think it was the University of Paris. Um, but they published a study that basically said they, they broke it into two groups. They had a death study and a non-death study in simulation lab. And at the end, just like Ed said, the data said the students going through the dying situations experienced no more stress or anxiety or reported no more stress or anxiety than the other group. It was pretty much a wash saying it doesn't make much of an impact. Now, that said, they used emergency care providers. They used ER staff. Uh, and so when you're using emergency medicine providers, okay, I'm gonna... we're used to seeing dying people. That's what happens. Right. I'm going to toss one up. And there was a study done. Um, uh, Samuel DiMaria was one of the authors in it. And it was one of the ones that was discussed in, I think, 2016 in San Diego at IMSH when they had the panel, you know, like this. Mm -hmm. Mannequin should die, mannequin should not. And he had two groups, one of which every time the kids came in, and these were um, like fourth year or fifth year medical students, no matter what they did, the mannequin died. Mm -hmm. In the other group, no matter what they did, the mannequin lived. Huh. And in terms of all of their measurements, the students were exactly the same except one. The group where the mannequin always died hated simulation. They didn't want to do it. Yep. They hated coming in. Yep. That's all. It was just like, I don't want to do this. I know how to go through the steps. I know how to, you know, I know the protocols. I'm just sick and tired of failing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I mean, going back to what you were saying, Will, um, there's an issue with the, the pressure of knowing that you're going to fail. Mm -hmm. But there's also an issue with the pressure of doing everything you possibly can to succeed. You got to bring the buy-in. And, and, and we've said that a lot is that if, you know, you cannot engage the learner and bring that buy-in, you've lost already. Right. And, yeah. you know, and we did an episode on this already too. And this is, I'm going to kind of derail for a second. But. Yeah. That buy-in plays into the, the hands-on, actually simulate, get into the scenario thing too, right? Uh, it, you, you mentioned you got people that come in and they're just used to the simulator dying all the time and they just check out. They're just like, all right, they're going to die no matter what. So I'm going to give the minimal amount of effort I can to the scenario. I'm going to meet my objectives. I'm going to pass it and then just let the patient die. And that's a different story than when they come in and they are fighting start to finish to keep the patient alive. Yeah. And that's the difference between those scenarios and the ones, of course, that I use, where they know that death is a possibility, but it's only a possibility if they don't do everything that they're supposed to do to keep them alive. And so that, that energy stays there. Keep them going, keep moving. I'm, I'm not saying that it's a better motivator. I have nothing to back that. It's just simply knowing that, yeah, if you break them, because every time they come in, the patient's gonna die, 
that's just and that's just a negative attitude towards simulation in general because they're not happy exactly and that's what you talked about earlier ed it was it's cruel and it's a training scar it, it, you know the term i've heard it's an abuse i'm sorry that's abuse it is yeah. yep it's abuse i mean if i um berate a student in clinical in front of their peers that's abuse mm -hmm. right yep. anybody Anybody with any conscience would understand that that's inappropriate behavior. True. If it's... I put a, a nursing student in a situation where they cannot be successful, mm -hmm. that's abuse. Yep, I agree. And, and that's that Kobayashi Maru thing I was talking about. Yes! Earlier, right? There's there, there's no yes! such thing as an unwinnable scenario. There should not be a such mm -hmm. thing. They, and the it, problem is people have written them and I've seen it in educators. I, I mean, if you can call them that, but I've seen people do that with paramedic students. I've seen people try and do that with actual established clinicians. Hell, I've been on the receiving end of those scenarios mm -hmm. where no matter what I did that was right, they just changed the scenario to make it different over and over and over again. Yeah. Until eventually you fail. And, and if you go into it, and, and maybe there is a place, maybe if, if David and I are going in the lab and Ed tells me, well, no matter what happens today, the scenario is going to get harder until I find your breaking point. And I'm doing that on purpose so that I can then help you learn something. If you've demonstrated that's a pre -brief. everywhere but that's else. That's a pre-brief. But, but, but you're not well, getting that usually. Setting expectations. Yes. And, yeah. and so and that's, that's the that's only. That's, that's briefing. Yep. yep. That's I, by it. the way, I'm going to give you guys a print. I hate the word pre-brief. Do you? Because it doesn't exist. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The term itself. Got it. <laughs> look it up. Oh, I know. So, no. When you brief your students coming in, whoever they might be, your learners, it's yep. a briefing. You're yes. preparing them. Correct. Okay. Pre-brief is like, you know, Redundant? almost barbecuing. <laughs> like, No. <laughs> doesn't exist yeah, kind yeah. of pregnant <laughs> yeah yeah almost yeah. dead no yep mostly it just dead. doesn't exist nearly dead yeah mostly dead there we go nearly dead. not not quite there yes but so. it's got to be it. okay in parenthetical what you're describing will is the proper briefing for what you're going to be going into absolutely and let's look at it from a clinical standpoint let's Ignore simulation for just a moment. If you're going in to work with a patient in a critical care situation, what information would you expect the, for the lack of a better term, offgoing clinician to provide you? It would involve what I'm trying to think of the right words without SBAR? being too politically. Not, well, as far yes, but yeah, it's SBAR. like sample, what, whatever. What can you expect from this patient in the next n number of hours, based upon the n number of hours that I've spent with them? Within reason, yeah. I mean, the unexpected. Within occurs, reason, but yeah, yeah, I get you. Yeah, but you're basically saying ask and all that. Yep. We we had to up the dopamine on this kid three times. You know, uh, we're really, you know, he's iffy right now. It's really not looking good, mm -hmm. but I'm going off shift. Let me finish my charting. Good luck. Yep. But you know what the heck you're facing. Yep. Whenever it's I did a patient a, handoff, it was, it was, you know, always the story of what, 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 what. And then I'm like, all right, I always ask. So what makes you nervous with this patient? Is there anything that's making you nervous? Is there anything I should worry about? And it's either a no or a, oh yeah, there was this, 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 this. Okay, well, we didn't tell me that in the handoff. So that's why I always got in the habit of asking that. So, you know, what makes you, you nervous with this and patient? There's, yeah, and there's interest. <laughs> I don't want to take this off topic, but there's some really interesting studies about that very same question. Yep, I'm a huge what are you? What, what makes you uncomfortable? Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Oh, topic. I love that. Oh, yeah. We had a, um, at the last shop, we had a sim that uh, was an intentional overdose and the patient would give little hints to the nursing staff and it was interprofessional. So it was our emergency residents uh, and nursing and he would only say it around the nurses and he would start dropping little hints like you look like my daughter. She never calls anymore. And it was interesting to watch how uncomfortable that made people and not because they thought he was hitting on him, but no, as far as the 
you could tell on some level they were they were reading what the person was saying, but they didn't want to engage. They were like, you know, oh, it's just me at home anymore, you know, and things like that. He'd drop hints on that. And we called it knocking on the door. And sometimes we had to pound on that door. So, yeah, I love uncomfortable yeah. situations in SIM if it's the learning objective inappropriate. Right. Right. But that, again, end parenthetical, that's a whole nother topic mm -hmm. for a whole nother conversation. We can have the you back. The issue, what's that? We can have you back. We'd be happy. Well, we, can, we, can, we can do that. Yeah. Yep. We have to talk uh, about goats at some point. That's one of the nice things about Zoom. Yeah. Is I don't have to leave my living room. I could just sit here and actually it's my dining room. But, yep. Um, oh, everybody will see. Yeah. But you know, it's supposed to be a podcast. There shouldn't be any sort of... <laughs> Anyway, um, move on. on. David, you're, you're looking at a different audience. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. Tell me what experiences you've had in that audience okay. where death played a role. If you're talking about the last shop I worked, we would definitely have cases where they would die and whether it was from medical students and, you know, when to call a code or something like that. We, we had some death and dying scenarios, but um, most of ours, like I said, we did it where everybody came back at a certain point and we would explain the debrief that, you know, we wanted you to get certain learning objectives. We wanted to make sure you knew the whole algorithm or something like that. But um, yeah, unfortunately, I mean, like I said, it, previous eight years, it was all, you know, we, unless it was a learning objective, we did not do it. Okay. And what decision was made or decisions were made that forced that rule on the organization? Um, it was my boss seeing simulation, seeing one thing we like to quote is the, the part of Grey's Anatomy where the, the instructor's back there just laughing and throwing everything at him. And a lot of people we found um, came with those, you know, training scars, as we call it, or, um, you know, those, that harsh thing. And they came with that preconceived notion of the simulator was just going to die. So I can't get it. So we, we made it very, very clear that, you know, they would, ha if the simulator dies, you really messed up. And we would, tell them that that was a possibility, but we would do everything in our power to not. And most of the time, everybody came with their A game, they were engaged, and they did the right thing. We didn't have anybody just completely go off the rails. So it wasn't like, um, you know, any huge medication errors or anything like that. So. Okay. Um, well, that's kind of my next question and for both right. you and Will, but I'm going to ask this question of you specifically. Okay. How... If you were to throw up a number and say out of a hundred of these kinds of situations, how many do you think actually ended in death? That in real life, how many they would have? No, no, no. Oh. How many in your simulator would have resulted in death that you, for the again, you you just sort of stopped it before it happened, yep. or you brought the patient to the level where you could say, okay, we're done. Yeah. Very, very few number. It would be a very, very low number. And I'm talking in thousands of Sims, I would say less than 10. Okay. Because everybody seemed to, you know, they may not have gotten to it right away. Um, like some of the, the harder scenarios that I was thinking of is third year resident Sim would be thyroid storm. And it might take them a lot to get to that point, but they would finally get to that point. So um, maybe it was the level of education. Um, I worked with a whole lot of really, really smart people, but uh, it was a very, very low number. Okay. Well, I'm gonna ask you the same question. Given the number of times that you've had to do scenarios where death was a possibility, how many times would you say that it actually occurred? Yeah, so we, we run a little over 5,000 simulations a year. So each one of our clinicians has to come in and do four uh, scenarios. Now, there are four different patient categories, right? But they have to do four each. And so uh -huh. with, uh, with about 13, 1,400 employees, really about 5,000 a year, I would say um, that, not that it's a possibility. I mean, you can kill anyone if you try hard enough, but mm -hmm. for actual <laughs> scenarios, 
Okay. But, but actually, how many of them end up in arrest? It's probably less than 10% of our scenarios end in the death of a patient. Um, because like you guys said, you know, we were talking about, it's the death isn't there as a punishment. It's not there to berate them or to say, oh, you screwed up, they're dead. The death only comes if they do something that either action or inaction that would lead to the death of the patient. Um, so like if I treat the patient, but I forget to, I, I don't know, maybe I didn't check a blood sugar. They're not gonna die from that, right? It just means that I missed a major portion of the assessment. The scenario still goes on. I could still fail the scenario because I didn't complete all the objectives, but the patient doesn't die. On the flip side of that, if I do something, and, and you know, let's try and, and try to find a good example without, you know, throw anything under the bus, but wrong dose of epi. Yeah. So, and that's a good okay. one. So, so let's say we have a patient who is anaphylactic shock, hypotensive, like 50 over nothing for a blood pressure. And instead of giving epinephrine, I'm like, you know what I should do? I should give this person a beta blocker. They're going to die. There is nothing we can do about that. Right. Yeah. So for me, it, it, we don't just kill people to, to prove that you've lost the scenario, right? It's not like, Oh, you failed. So they're going to die. It's this action led to the death. Now let's talk about it. Let's debrief the death of this patient. Let's debrief everything else. Here's what should have gone on. You know, but if you, you can still fail the scenario and they not die, that's totally fine mm -hmm. too. And in the debrief, we explain, look, you, you know, you went through your intubation procedure, but you didn't have any of your backup equipment out, right? So you got lucky, you got the intubation, but you missed a major component of what you yep. should have done. Because if you'd missed that intubation, you would have been hosed. Or, yeah. hey, you got that tube, that's wonderful, but you left the BVM in the bag and now you have no way to breathe for them. That's a failure no where the patient hasn't died, right? You can still scramble, get that bag, get them on a ventilator, et cetera. It doesn't mean they're going to die just because you missed the objective. Yep, no suctions. That's right. one that gets a lot of people. Oh, yeah. And I'm going to toss something up. Will, it sounds like when you're doing these, your debriefers are pretty sharp and they're knowledgeable in every aspect of the protocol for a code situation is that correct oh yeah Would so you feel I, I will say that we we try to be so in order for one of my educators to be hired into this department to be involved in any way it's a minimum of four years as a critical care flight nurse or paramedic they're you know the degree all that stuff so the reality is they're not teaching so, scoring so I wouldn't qualify. So, well, Neither not, would I. Nope, not in Neither, our current yeah. situation. You, you would have to have the education no, background no, that fine. you do have, plus the flight, or the flight background. Mm -hmm. Okay, but you've got, you've got a certain level of expertise within your debriefers to be able to deal with situations like picking the wrong med or leaving the bag, you know, leaving the BBM in the bag. How critical is that in the grand scheme of things? Yep. You've got people who know how to do that and, and they're good at that. That's why you hired them. Mm -hmm. in, in every sense of the word, these people are the smartest people in the room, right? I, well, I think, I think cool it would be club. debated by a lot of people. So don't get me wrong, my, my educators are respected, but a lot of our clinicians, I mean, they, even our, like every one of our learners, if you will, they are, extremely intelligent they're extremely talented if they weren't they wouldn't be here in the first place so i, I will never say that i am the smartest guy in the room in fact it's not my job to be the smartest guy in the room but i will say that all of but, my educators are talented and they're good at what they do but are you one of the debriefers do you do the debriefing absolutely yeah every so you do facilitate okay. here's here's the interesting thing we don't have simtex we are the tech the educator and the facilitator of the sp so it doesn't matter which one of us you are in front of you're getting an experienced clinician, that you're getting an experienced flight clinician who also has the education background, who also knows how to run the simulator, who knows how to do the moulage, what little moulage that we end up using you know, half the time in the lab. Right. Uh, okay. And so we're kind of a jack of all trades, if you will, when it comes right. to these labs. But as a group, you've got a good group of people that Absolutely. you have faith in. Absolutely. All right. I'm gonna ask the same question of David. Mm -hmm. In your situation, do you have the same faith in all of your facilitators, all of your debriefers, that if you had them in a potential death situation, mm -hmm. that they could find and catch the flaws and you know, accurately debrief them? 
Yeah, I would say that, um, again, working for the, the boss I did, and, and I'm only going to comment about the last shop um, on this. Is what because about it was this? the longest. Well, no, and the, the, it's not fair on this one because we're, we're doing a lot and we're changing a lot. And we're, we're, you know, I'm still learning what they're doing. I'm still too new to really comment on the new shop because, you know, I'm seeing their flow of things. But the old shop, because I was there for so long and because the person that did, that wrote every scenario, that was a physician and that did every debrief, when he retired, I will say it was interesting to see the different personalities, the different perspectives and the different experience level. So I think to your point, yes, um, it, it was still, I worked in a room of in, insanely smart people, but it was interesting to see a different take on things, a different approach and that sort of thing. So yeah, I, I, I think you definitely have a valid point of, Yes, they could catch it, but it was interesting to see the different people, how they handled it, what they thought was important and what I thought was important. Because again, I ran with a guy that basically started and ran the entire program and I held those standards and they did things a little bit differently. It wasn't wrong by any way, shape or fashion. It was definitely different, but boy, being used to that for six years, it was like, you know, very different for me. Yeah. The point I'm trying to make, though, is the risks that are presented to learners mm -hmm. are really based upon the quality of the individuals running and especially debriefing Correct. those situations. Yes, very much and so. Debriefing I, especially. I, well, and running the skill. them. Because, because if... You know, Will, you brought up the point, you know, hey, um, you didn't take the BDM out of the bag. You know, it's still in the kit. How yep. critical is that in this situation? Mm -hmm. Okay, I not being involved in your area of expertise, I wouldn't be able to even hazard a guess at how, how important that is. But... I am involved with nursing. I am involved in medication administration. And yeah, if the guy is going to go, um, I need epi right now. And instead of giving them epi, the guy goes, uh, no, nah, let's not. Let's do the beta blocker. Hold it. Yeah. That's not a good idea at that. If, if epi is the prescribed medication for that protocol follow the protocol mm -hmm. don't veer off you know into the left lane with a beta blocker and no know what the hell you're doing and and sometimes it's interesting to watch a person think one thing and say another and the amiodarone atropine is one that completely um, I've seen flip. They knew what they or asked for, but the words came out with something different or something like um, I would always teach new residents when they walk in the room. It was, you know, you check your vitals monitor and we would say, and again, learn this from tonight is that you have them verbalize what they see because sometimes they'll look at it. They'll say, okay, I see V-fib. So sir, how are you doing today? You know, they didn't give enough, their, their brain enough time. And I saw it a lot of times and smart, smart people. And again, they didn't give their brain enough time to realize what they just saw. So it's the same thing of, Hey, can you push, um, can you push a milligram of adenosine please? And that's where that closed loop team steps thing can't comes in of, right. Oh, you know, you want this? No, 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 God, no, not a milligram of that. You know, that'd be right. bad. Well, and, and, the same vein, I will not use names, but I attended a session at one IMSH where they were using as an example of team communication, mm -hmm. situation where the um, physician in charge of a code had his back to the monitor mm -hmm. and was dependent <laughs> upon a nurse telling him what the hell was happening yep. behind him. And, and I just sort of raised huge... my hand and I said, don't you see the problem with this? Yeah. That's why, why it, is oh. this, why is the monitor, why doesn't the, the physician in charge either position him or herself so they can see the monitor and not depend on 
the nurse who has other responsibilities standing there reading numbers or ask, could you move the monitor over here, please? Yep. And that's why in the, the last shop I was in, we had our beds backwards because again, my boss said he'd have it this way in the hospital if he could. But um, he says, but nobody wants to watch the wall. But when things go bad, he says, why is it the doctor has to have their back to the monitor, yet they have to watch the patient in the airway and they're standing there watching the airway and at the head of the bed. And that was always his thing. Or you could be at the side of the bed and things like that. But yeah, oh, that's a huge, <laughs> that's another, another discussion. But in, in that, in that yep. conversation, when I raised my hand and I said, why are you doing this? Yep. I was told that wasn't the objective of the scenario that the objective was listening to the nurse. And I'm going, okay, if the, <laughs> you know, wait a second. The objective of this was not to have the train get from point A to point B. The objective was to have the train derail on the left <laughs> side, not the right side. Good point. Uh, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah. You know, you got a train load of people and you're talking about right side or left side mm -hmm. when you're not even paying attention to this, you know, the objective being to get the train to point B. Yep. And I'm like, and these are the, the people giving, I won't give names. No. The people giving this, giving this presentation were powerhouses. Yeah. Truly powerhouses in simulation. Mm-hmm. And I just, I was like, what? <laughs> I missed it completely. Yeah. But yeah, the, one of the objectives, one of the issues is we kind of set up situations where death realistic. becomes realistic yep. and possible. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily um, I almost said improbable, but that's not the right word. A, def a definite was going to happen or a uh, preconceived yes. notion, preconceived event. Regardless, yeah. not a good idea. No. But you both said to me earlier that in your environments, you had less than 10% of these cases actually occur. So what, what did you do or what did the facilitator in those cases do that you would see as different? Mm -hmm. What was the different approach? So I, I mean, think about it. our scenarios are, are well written. Uh, and, and I say that, of course, I mean, and that's not to toot our own horns. It's simply that we have to think ahead and know what could go wrong and where. What are the mistakes that we expect to be seen and how are we going to be prepared for them when they do occur? Uh, now, occasionally you get blindsided. There's just mm -hmm. some things that are so far out there. There's nobody could have ever predicted it. It's just that wrong, right? That there's just nothing we could have done about it. Uh, and that's your unexpected death scenario where it shocks both the educator and the student, right? It's not just the surprise to the student when the patient dies. It's, uh, oh shit, what just happened? You know, and there's yeah. nothing you can do about it. When you use, yeah. especially use physiologically modeled mannequins that are reacting to medications in real time and they're reacting the way they should, you're going to see that occasionally. Sometimes um, you're going to see things that are not, the, you're, you're speaking of physiological, hey, sometimes, you know, <laughs> the monitor is going to show flatline because it's a technical error. Yep. Or it doesn't you know how no to control hit what happened. Yep. And that okay. happens to me occasionally. Yes, Every now and then you see these act for no does. reason. Okay. <laughs> right. Okay, so sometimes you can't control it, but what's the difference in the way in which the facilitator handles that situation, Will? So for us in those situations, so, and, and I'll use your example. If the patient dies by no fault of the, the clinician, right? So they come in, everything's going fine, and all of a sudden they're in V-fib and we have no answer why. It's just the mannequin decided to die we will halt the simulation, we will fix what's going on with it, and we will start again. And although that does break the, you know, the disbelief for just a moment, because we practice high-stakes simulation and their, their jobs ride on their performance in the lab, we cannot, we absolutely cannot have errors like that that have a negative impact on somebody's career. 
And okay. so we yeah. will stop the simulation or just flat out say, hey, keep going with what you're doing. I'm going to figure out what's wrong with that EKG and I'm going to fix it. And it does happen occasionally, but I, I normally see it before the students do because I'm there, right? And I'm always mm -hmm. paying attention to it. If I look up and I see the EKG, I won't even let them have a chance to see it. I will tell them, ignore the monitor for a couple seconds, continue what you're doing. I'm going to take care of that. Um, okay. That's one of the so, times where we break too is yeah. that, that, and that was so rare, but yeah, if there's a technical, because it goes back to your point or your point of, if we expect them to react to that, it's cruel. So if it's to stop yeah. a point of being cruel, it's like, all right, guys, that shouldn't happen. Or we would just call it. Uh, and then we debrief up until that point. So a lot of yeah. times that's what, that's what we do. Cause if it's well, what not if fair. What if it wasn't a technical problem? What if it was a, um, a process, something went wrong in the process. And are you saying that, it, so it's, when you say something went wrong in the process, are you saying that the clinician made the error when they were going through, or are you saying maybe the, that we made the error on our end? So what are, I guess I'm no. trying to clarify the question. Yeah. Okay. Um, there was a, you know, I'll go back to the epi. Okay. The epi was pulled, but it was the wrong dose. Okay. And the medication nurse said, this is what I'm, this is what I'm handing you, or this is what I'm, what I'm giving. And the clinician didn't catch the fact that it was the wrong dose. Did they ask for the correct dose? And then the other person gave them the wrong one, kind of a Confederate play or even an accidental. And it's, if they yeah. asked for the Let's, correct dose, I will not fail them in our scenarios because the stakes are too high. If they told me the correct dose and I, and, and at that point they say, Hey, I want, give me four grams of mag. And I go, cool, here's four milligrams. That's not their fault. I, I will not, not their fault. I will not hang them as long as after the correct dose. Now, if they ask me, I need four milligrams of magnesium and I say, okay, four milligrams. And I question it back to them and they continue down that same path. They, they sealed their own fate at that point. They chose to continue I with the wrong. Totally course. agree. Yep. So, Flip side. David, way, so give me the, give me the answer from your perspective. No, I, I agree on both sides. The only thing I was going to say is no matter what happens, it's obviously a large point to bring up in debriefing. So yeah, we've had that where, where I have played the, um, it's not a Confederate for us. It was just a nurse in the room room and we, we did the intentional mistakes but i would say something wrong and we would hope that they would catch it and if not i would fess up or something like that but it was like will said if what you know if the the learner that is supposed to be there being you know shown or going through the simulation called the right thing we went by what they would say but if like you're saying with epidose if it was um supposed to be uh 0.5 im and we went iv we give them a run of VTAC we, you know, definitely let them know something went wrong. And then, you know, if they didn't figure that out, we'd bring it up in debrief. And that is where having more than one educator and or a recording process in play is a huge lifesaver, right? Yes. If David yeah. comes in and says, hey, I should not have failed this scenario. I called the right dose. And I say, the hell he did. This is what he told me. And this is what I did because it was a his thing. And we can't agree on it. Hey, I've got Ed in the room and Ed agrees with one of the other of us, right? If I don't have Ed, the recording, it's back to the video. Go back to the recording. Yeah. Yes. And yep. so I, we do not routinely watch our recordings with every clinician as part of the debrief. I mean, no one wants to relive the last 15 minutes that they just sat through. We debrief <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. um, but yeah. I do know that that is a practice in a lot of places. And I don't disagree with it. If you have the time and you have the freedom, especially in a team. Now, I, all of mine are tested individually. We would be doing that. I mean, we'd be there till midnight every night if we did it. Yep. Uh, and so I, yeah. I think that that's a great right. practice if you can make it work. But for us, we do right. not we do not go through and watch the video with them. But it, the video does exist. Uh, and, and honestly, I look at it as my protection at the end of the day. But it also exists to protect the clinician. Because if I if we cannot agree on something, we go back to the video. It's possible I screwed up. I'm I'm not above saying that, that I make mistakes. And so if I didn't write something down and Ed asked for it. And should, you know, should his job be on the line or should he be you know, on a performance improvement plan, et cetera, moving down over an error that really was not his error. It was mine. And that is where those right. recordings come into play. And so having two educators present or at the very and, least one educator and a recording. Yeah. And again, I'm going to go back to, Will. you have a different audience. Absolutely. Okay. You have an audience of trained individuals and the purpose of what you do 
is to verify and validate their level of expertise. That's exactly right. You're talking about first level, second level medical students, nursing students, midwife students, okay? Yeah, maybe they have an RN, but this is you know, different audience. They're new to what they're learning here, right? They're new to this right. type of scenario. And, and in the case of the, the, the RN to nurse midwife, sure, they've been in L&D. They've been in probably cardiac arrest situations in the past, but now they're in charge. Like they are right. the head hey, provider. Totally very right. good point. Yes. Yep. When they so walk I in agree. as the midwife, their role is different. Mm -hmm. So their level of understanding and expertise should be different. Mm -hmm. We should have higher expectations of them. Well, gentlemen, I, uh, I feel like if we go much longer, we're just going to beat a dead horse over and over and over again. And just like any other time we do something like this, uh, we're going to hang up. And in 10 minutes, David or I are going to text the other and go, oh, shit, we forgot this. You know, like, hey, I had a really good point and I forgot to throw it in your face or something along oh, those totally. lines. Uh, <laughs> so, 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 Ed, I, I cannot tell you how much we appreciate you having, you know, yep. having you on. This is, this is a lot of fun having you here. Um, you brought some really good points to the table mm -hmm. that would have otherwise either been missed or would have been very quickly brushed over by either one of us. So, so we appreciate your time. Uh, and I, I hope that we have you back in the near future. We'll let you tell your goat story at that point. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about Bonnie and Clyde. So, yep. um, so yes, uh, I'll just echo what he said. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time and I appreciate you coming on. And, uh, you know, like all of our interviewees, we're going to invite you back and, uh, you know, put everybody in there. So it's I my will pleasure. say, I appreciate you. Um, because plus the other thing is you have just so much more of a history and past that I would love to get told. But for right now, I'm going to say my name is David Shoblock and, uh, you know, please follow the, the Sim Geeks podcast, uh, wherever you can find us. We are on Twitter and Facebook and, um, LinkedIn and in, um, What's the other one? Oh, Instagram. And uh, please do me a favor, right? Like us, follow us, and give us some reviews if you feel like uh, it's warranted. So thank you and good night from David Shoblock and... All right, guys, I'm William Belk signing off. You guys have a wonderful night. <laughs>